4: Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are back in the warmth and cosiness of a studio because uh, down at Westminster, of course, we've been there all week and it's been a fascinating week uh, in politics. A fascinating week for Theresa May, a fascinating week for Jeremy Corbyn, a fascinating week for all the pundits uh, that were walking around inside the media village. We, however, have abandoned that particular site for today because we've got far more interesting things to talk about this morning. It's no longer just about Brexit. Leave the politicians to sort that out. And let's face it, they need to sort that out and they need to sort it out very, very soon indeed. However, we've got much more pressing matters to consider this morning here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham because we're running out of energy. And there's a simple reason for that. We haven't got enough of it. We're not making enough of it. We're using too much of it. We haven't got a plan, whether it's nuclear, whether it's fracking, whether it's more gas storage, whether it is, in fact, just generating more power from the sea, from the wind, from all sorts of other places. The bottom line is we are now being warned by people who know about these things. And if we don't have a proper plan, and we don't get a proper plan very very soon we will run out of energy now this is not one of those ridiculous boasts from the Remainers about when hard Brexit comes we won't be able to fly anywhere or when hard Brexit comes we won't be able to get a a bus anywhere we won't be able to get a train anywhere we won't be able to buy any avocados no this is an actual proper warning from people who work in the energy industry who say we don't have joined up thinking we don't have a projection into the future we do not have a plan for providing enough energy, enough electricity for our needs in the coming decade. So we're going to talk to some experts this morning. We want to hear from you as well. 0344. Four nine nine one thousand is the number because it's Friday, of course. Uh, we also hang on, have a nice uh, version of the Perrier Awards coming up, in which I will win loads of them, I'm sure. Also, we'll let you know how you can buy a house for just 90 pence in a rather nice part of Europe and why, for example, Boris Johnson is getting back on the bandwagon and deciding to make a speech this morning about the very thing we don't want to talk about, which is, of course, Brexit. 0344 you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here in the studios where it's very warm. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to talk now to David Oliver, Senior Energy Consultant at Inenco, which is an energy company. Let's find out precisely from him what the problem is. David, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for uh, for joining us. It seems as though, like many things in this day and age, we have a sort of very short-term approach to, um, to capital projects. We have a short-term yep. approach to our needs in the future. And something needs to change, right?
5: yeah uh, I mean at the moment, if you want to build a power station, the easiest thing to do is build gas and you can build one of those projects in two and a half years. Okay. But once you start looking at things like nuclear or you look at the big uh, pump storage systems and things like that, you're looking at projects that take ten years to build right. They're very expensive, as you say, there's lots of opportunity for escalation. so those are the sort of projects which investors don't like. Mm. They want to build they want to build something just a sort of gas-fired power station, and to be fair, you know, if all the nuclear plants plant shut down. We can replace it with gas. But right. then, got, but, but then got...
4: you've got to produce enough gas, presumably, to exactly. fire all those up, right?
5: We're already importing about a third of our gas, so mm-hmm. that will just increase and increase and increase. put us far more at risk of uh, interruptions to supplies. You know, we do buy liquefied gas as well as gas from uh, Europe but you know we're we're putting all our eggs into one basket then and what we really need is a a better mixture of uh, generation.
4: Well indeed I mean particularly and I'm trying really really hard in this first hour of the show because we've done it all week not to mention the B word Brexit but I mean presumably (laughs) we don't particularly want to be reliant upon Europe for all of our gas needs uh, or the majority of them after we've left. Yeah,
5: well, I think Ofgem in particular are quite relaxed about, you know, that we'll continue trading energy across the interconnectors and so on. Mm. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much gas available. A lot of it's coming from places like Russia. Um, most of that gas, the Russian gas gets used in Europe. But, you know, if they have a cold winter like they have at the moment in Europe, then there's less gas available for us. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've often real- um, spoken
4: but- about this subject in the past, David, and whenever I have, I've always been quite surprised about the the limited availability of of storage units for our gas because we we, we generate quite a lot of gas in in the North Sea. But the the reason I'm told we don't generate any more is because we literally don't have anywhere to put it.
5: That's correct. Yeah. I mean, we used to have a sort of an underground uh, gas field, which we used to pump Mm. uh, gas into in the summer and then take it out in the winter. And that closed down just over a year ago and it's never been replaced.
4: And why Uh, was that closed down, for example? Was it too old or something?
5: Well, yeah, it was getting to the point where some of the equipment there needed replacement and it was right. becoming a very expensive project. And the the benefits of it in terms of, you know, as a, as a business weren't
4: there. Mm. So who's responsible for coming up with energy policy in this country? I mean, is there a a, a sort of a, a, a focused organisation that is in charge of it? Because these utility companies obviously all operate individually and, and separately as commercial operations, but they have some form of subsidy from us, don't they?
5: Yeah, well, it's the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. You know, they're they're, the guys in charge. But, of course, as you pointed out before, uh, part of the problem with Brexit is not just, well, the the problems with Brexit, it's the the problems that everybody else is ignoring the other parts of the business. Right.
4: No, exactly right. Right. And I was quite surprised as well to read this morning uh, that we receive quite a lot of our energy from Qatar still at the moment, which, again, is, is a slightly unusual place to be, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the
5: that's liquefied natural gas that comes from there. And uh, most of it comes from Qatar. But there are other places that produce it, including Australia and even the USA. Although, funny enough, the stuff from the USA is probably coming from fracking.
4: Right. Yeah. Now, you've, you've said the F word, so I'm going to bring you up on that. <laughs> um, that's obviously a very contentious issue, um, probably more contentious in some places than others and more contentious in some sort of communities and some groups than others. I personally don't necessarily have a problem with fracking. I know there are those who do. What's your attitude towards it, David? Uh, Well, obviously, we
5: have to be a bit sensitive, because our business is actually about two miles away from one of the big fracking sites (laughs) in the north of west of England. Right. Is that that, that
4: currently in abeyance, or are they still going on with it?
5: No, they're still still, um, doing the test drills at the moment. So that that work is ongoing. I mean, at the moment, uh, the main limitations on fracking from a financial point of view is that it's more expensive than buying gas from elsewhere. But if we start shutting down nuclear plants and we need more and more gas fracking would actually become something strategically required right. to uh, you know, make sure we've got more fuel available. So fracking would be affected potentially by the uh, shutdown of nuclear power stations. OK.
4: And I mean, once presumably fracking is, is considered to be a relatively normal form of, of, of energy placement or energy replacement, I should say, uh, if that day ever comes, presumably it gets cheaper anyway, doesn't it?
5: Well, certainly in the USA it got a lot cheaper, but, of course, in the USA there are much bigger areas to do the fracking and so on, and there's perhaps not as high environmental control, so it would be more expensive certainly here, but then gas is more expensive here anyway.
4: Right. So, I mean, as far as these decisions that need to be made, uh, David, in order to avoid the blackouts that that, that some people are warning us about in 10 years' time, say, what do we have to actually do? Well, uh,
5: the blackouts, I mean, to be fair... We can always avoid blackouts by building new power stations. And, you know, and if we can't build green power stations, we have to build fossil-fired power stations, you know, like gas or even, you know, our our coal plants have to shut down in 2025. But if there's an emergency, we could extend the closing time of those. And why do they have to
4: shut down, exactly?
5: That's a government... That is actually one of the government policies that has come through, is to say they want them all closed by 2025, and that's part of the carbon agenda. And, And this is the issue that's... We can build fossil-fired power stations, but then we start going backwards in terms of uh, decarbonising our electricity.
4: But if you're taking coal—excuse me—it'd be hard to say (laughs) coal-fired power stations out of the. uh, Sorry, they're all laughing behind the glass. If you said as many words as I did in a week, you'd be stumbling around as well. If you if you take away the coal-fired power stations and replace them with gas-fired power stations, I mean that's still a fossil fuel, isn't it? What's the difference?
5: It is a, the, the difference is um, because of the makeup of methane compared to carbon uh, coal. Rather, uh, it's a lot less carbon dioxide emitted for the same megawatt hours of electricity. Right. So it's about about a, a coal fired power station produces about two and a half times more carbon dioxide. To megawatt hour of electricity.
4: Okay. So, so we're doing away with coal, um, yeah. but not everybody is doing away with coal, presumably, right? Because I was reading, uh, in fact, I saw a report, funnily enough, from a, an environmental conference in Poland uh, where people were expressing absolute horror and disgust and amazement that the coal fired power industry in, in Poland is not only alive and well, but it's about the only place they get power from.
5: Yeah, it was also sponsoring the conference, I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, slight, slight <laughs> irony there, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, uh, Eastern Europe and even in places like Germany and so on, there's still a lot of coal being burnt. And uh, you know, you traditionally you burn the fuel that's available to you, and that's what we did in the UK. So this is not so. This is
4: not a European-inspired sort of condition of any of any environmental rule, is it? It's our own.
5: No, I mean the reason the UK chose to burn gas was mainly because when we uh, nationalised, sorry, privatised the electricity industry, gas was the easiest thing to burn. It was you can build a power station much faster, and it's a lot easier and it's a lot cleaner. Um, So. It was just uh, convenient to burn gas, right. but it also it's, it did help us in terms of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, since we started burning gas, you know, the, the carbon emissions from our electricity generation has come right down. And of course, that's also been helped by about a third of our electricity coming from renewables.
4: Yeah, right. So, I mean, what would you say to the Green Party, who we're going to be speaking to a little bit later on, I think, uh, talking about the, the, you know, their agenda of burning things which are not fossil fuels at all and are only renewables?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, we already burn uh, what's called biomass. So if you take the biggest coal-fired power station in the UK, which is Drax, they actually switched half their generating units to burn uh, wood instead of uh, coal. So right. they've already made that sort of change. Um, there's also things like... Uh, but are we not
4: told that wood is a bad thing to burn as well, environmentally speaking?
5: Well, it's it's the usual thing. that As long as uh, you're planting as many trees as you're knocking down, it's, it's sustainable. Mm. But you obviously have to be very careful that that is the case.
4: Right. Well, why are they trying to ban wood burning coal? Uh, wood burning fires, then.
5: Well, that's to do with actually local air quality because when you burn coal, uh, sorry, burn wood in like local burners and not very regulated in terms of the emissions, right. you get like particulates and you get nitrogen dioxide. a bit like car emissions. Right. You're creating poor local air quality. So that's nothing to do with really the carbon dioxide. That's to do with the local air quality. Oh, I see.
4: So when you burn it in a in a in a sort of a furnace or in a in a power station, it's it's not it, the emissions yeah, are not the same.
5: No, it's got lots of uh, clean-up on the back end of it to protect it.
4: All right. So let's get back to, you know, how we avoid running out of energy, basically. I mean, what is it that the government department, you referred to earlier, should should do? Because it seems to me if they're not going to do anything, uh, what's the point of them?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, traditionally, it's been left to market forces to steer what happens. Mm -hmm. Now, if the the nuclear plants at the moment uh, produce about 20% of our electricity... It's you know by the 2030s, all but one of those will be closed down. That's that size. Well, right. um, we are looking at Kingsley Point still going ahead now. Whether that gets completed it remains to be seen. Um, but if those all close, they have to be replaced with something. Now we can replace a little bit with renewables. You know, offshore wind, for example. Yeah. Um, but
4: but who's going to pay that. for all that though?
5: Well, it's, it's, it's already, we're already paying for it in our electricity bill. I no, mean, I know. We, we, we
4: pay a subsidy, but I'm not sure that that subsidy ever really goes to where it's meant to go to, because part of these uh, nuclear pl- plant sort of building projects are concerned. This was going to George Osborne and David Cameron's legacy, wasn't it? Where they went reaching out yeah. to, to China and to Japan uh, to bring en- uh, energy investment from those parts of the world, which apparently may be drying up. Yeah, well, what, what, the way it works is that when those power stations start generating electricity, then the consumers are all charged
5: a levy which effectively pays for them. So uh, that is part of the cost of electricity, or will be when they're constructed.
4: Yeah, no, indeed.
5: Uh, the, the, the problem for the investors is that uh, those if you like, those costs are agreed way up front before the project even starts. Mm. So when it comes to constru- you know, the end of construction and starts generating, they've effectively got a fixed price they're going to get paid. Now, if partway through the process they decide that fixed price won't pay for the, uh, the capital cost, mm. then the project ain't going to work. And no. that seems to be where Hitachi are at the moment. Right. And, I mean, it's interesting that the, uh, the project at Hinkley Point, which is probably better known, that actually was offered a price which was about you know, nearly 15 percent more than right. Hitachi. So they're actually getting a higher price, so they're actually a more financially stable uh, project.
4: And the government should be worried about this, because it was supposed to create something like 8,500 jobs, wasn't it, this uh, Anglesey? That's right, yeah. Uh, so where, where also, are they? Where, what's going to happen now?
5: Well, those were all uh, you know, relatively short-term construction projects, um, you know, civil engineering jobs and so on. Right. Yeah, you're right, those jobs are missing, and also this project, or this suspension of the project, comes a few months after... Mm. Another nuclear project up at uh, Sellafield, a place called Moorside, right. that was actually cancelled a couple of months ago. So it's not the first, you know, the first nuclear project that's been pulled back. Mm.
4: And in your view, finally, David, what is the best way forward? What is the best form of energy generation, as far as you know, money, uh, you know, pound for pound, money-wise, and also uh, generally speaking, for the environment?
5: The, the, the cheap. Well, there's uh, the two different answers to that because the cheapest is. Currently, gas, mm. um, but the most environmentally friendly are renewables and nuclear, um, particularly renewables. Okay. Uh, but those those are not very flexible. So uh, you then have to have ways to deal with electricity generation when the wind's not blowing, or you know, and uh, the nuclear plants right. only just run at base load. So you then have to have things that deal with peaks. So one of the revolutions in the industry at the moment is that people are starting to change the way they use electricity. And, you know, things like battery storage is going to happen more and more at businesses and at homes. So we are actually amending the way we use electricity to make it more in sync with the way electricity is generated. But we still have to have flexible generation. And most of the flexible generation is actually fossil-fired.
4: Right, OK. David, thanks very much indeed. David Oliver, Senior Energy Consultant at Inenco. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's take some calls though. 0344 499 Anton uh, is in York. Hello, Anton. Hi there. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hi. What would you like to tell us? Um, just yeah, back to the old um, power station thing. Yeah. Apparently, we would need four
0: Hinkley Point-sized power stations if we all swapped our cars to electric.
4: Really? See, we I mean, we, I mean, we, the... we get told we need more power, but not exactly how much. Yeah, so it's
0: literally four of them. Mm. So rather than the government yapping on, we all should have electric cars, surely it should be getting the power stations up and running, because you don't think about it on a Monday and it's built by Friday. No,
4: of course. I mean, that's why I'm worried and, and slightly, slightly concerned that we don't seem to have any long-term policy. But, I mean, the guy from the Green Party had a point. He said, if we do have more electric cars, then we will use less petrol, which I guess is true.
0: I suppose, but then going back to you know the government wants to ban all diesel engines well i know personally that the jaguar has invested millions and millions of pounds in their clean diesel engine it's efficient it's uh, it's clean you know with the ad blue and everything but now the government says oh we don't want diesel engines and that's why like four and a half thousand people just being laid off yeah well i know and you know that the diesel engine is an efficient Hard-working engine, yeah. you know that it powers all the big shits and everything. Sure. So it's it's, it's a lot of scaremongering. Well, you know? exactly.
4: I don't think you can power everything by electricity. I don't think you can have an electric tractor or an electric lorry. I mean, they can't do all of that, can they?
0: No, no, that's it. And it's like, so one, one minute they're telling us all to swap over to electric, but they're not. They're looking at the bigger picture, like what's going to happen in ten years time. You know. Mm.
4: So that was all, basically. Okay, Anton, thanks for your call. Very, very good one to kick us all off with. We'll take more of your calls on on the power problems coming up later, 0344 499 1000. But for once, here's a good news story, actually, because we've got a bit of a happy uh, piece of news for you, and that is that you can buy a property in the Mediterranean, in Sicily to be precise, for 90 pence, which is extraordinary. So if you're getting fed up and you want to go and live in another part of the world, which is slightly sunnier than ours, uh, slightly more uh, interesting, slightly better food, uh, Henry Pryor, property expert and market commentator is going to explain it all to us. Henry, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Mike, good morning to you. Now listen, I've been to Sicily. I haven't been to this particular part, which Mm -hmm. is called rather rather pleasantly Zambuca. I don't know whether that's where the drink comes from, but um, uh, it's got stunning views over the Mediterranean. It's got beautiful kind of constructed um, architecture, it would seem. It looks like a scene from Montelbano. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, it looks lovely. Why 90 pence, though? How can you possibly sell a house for 90 pence?
3: Well, Italy faces uh, a, a huge problem uh, de- with their demographics. Uh, ironically, given the headlines we often see here of... Uh, the way they have to deal with uh, migrants coming across the Mediterranean. Mm. But uh, a lot of rural Italy, southern Italy in particular, uh, people are fleeing the rural communities, uh, moving to towns and cities. Yeah. And these, towns, these little villages, hilltop, pretty postcard uh, hilltop villages are being left empty and they are being sold off. Or demolished or left as ghost uh, villages Um, it is an extraordinary thing to behold when you're there I was there just last uh, last summer looking uh, at some of these properties after the earthquakes and they are coming up with ever more imaginative ways to try and repopulate them this is the local commune the mayor effectively who is selling off properties for one euro currently 90p although maybe a little less uh, as we go forward Um, But that uh, comes at the same time that Airbnb, the uh, uh, rental company, Mike, that uh, many people will will be familiar with, uh, is now offering uh, four people three months free stay uh, on the mainland, in a village in the mainland uh, in southern Italy, uh, in an attempt to try and encourage people to look at the advantages of, A, going to stay, possibly even buying a holiday home there right. and letting wow. them out on
4: Airbnb. It's fascinating, isn't it? So, I mean, if, if I literally, if I now wanted to finish my show at 1 o'clock, I decide to make a phone call to somebody, whoever's selling a house in this part of, of Sicily, I send them a, a one euro by a bank transfer or whatever, I'm actually the owner of a house.
3: Indeed. Uh, if you ring Giuseppe in Zambuca's uh, uh, town hall, yeah. uh, you will be able to go on the list. There is a small catch. Right. Uh, Within three years uh, of buying it, you need to start a renovation uh, spending at least 15,000 euros, It's about 13 Mm. and a half grand, uh, to renovate these properties. Many of them are in a dilapidated state, but uh, given uh, uh, we Brits and our enthusiasm for DIY SOS, those do-it-yourself, do-up, programs on tv i'm sure there are lots of people will be interested i was gonna
4: say i mean this sounds tailor-made for a tv show doesn't it i mean it'd be <laughs> fantastic you know my my my, my year know. abroad in sicily or something yeah, like that you well, know
3: perhaps might have our hands up for it but it's worth remembering <laughs> there are these sort of opportunities you may be surprised to, to hear closer to home cities of liverpool cities yeah. in the northeast have been selling off properties ex-local authority properties for a quid uh, for a pound. there. Really? So you don't need to go abroad necessarily. Mm-hmm. Don't need to beat the 29th of March deadline. Uh, you can you can go uh, up north and uh, uh, there are properties there come with similar strings attached. You have to spend money doing them. Yes. Up. Uh, but there indeed you can uh, buy perhaps a little lower. Than uh, most people would be used to, or would expect to pay no, of the crowded southeast.
4: And is there any kind of drawback, or loophole, or possible kind of a, a pitfall, if you like, because of what may happen on the 29th of March in there terms of are, Sicily? As
3: far as uh, the 29th of March is concerned, uh, because um, whilst there are provisions in theory laid out and agreed with the, uh, the EU as far as residents already. Either Europeans in the UK or UK citizens in Europe. Uh, the rules uh, will change uh, almost certainly after the 29th of March, mm. and v- through the two year or three year implementation phase, those sort of in, uh, details need to be narrowed down. And therefore, if you are going to pick up one of these properties, uh, it may be slightly more complicated mm. uh, going forward, uh, your ability to be able to go there. Oversee the Italian builders doing up your property, and more, most importantly, going and enjoying it once it's done.
4: No, quite. And I mean, as far as, um, without wishing to insult you and your ilk of people who are property experts and/or uh, real <laughs> estate agents. Hard, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, when, when when I hear somebody like you using the word the word dilapidated, um, I wonder just how bad it is. Because of course, you know, we've we've got great a great many euphemisms in the property world of of how to describe places which are perhaps not at their best. <laughs> but if you say dilapidated, it must be in a bad way.
3: Yeah, I mean, these properties uh, in many of these villages are uh, the sort of properties that, um, well, uh, cartoonists would have had fun perhaps uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Mm. Um, You can look up and see the sky uh, because the roof isn't quite (laughs) where you'd hope it would be. Uh, This desirable plot comes to mind uh, and some of those uh, classic adverts from the 60s of of, uh, properties in London uh, that required, perhaps, shall we say, a little bit of attention. These are properties that... Uh, whilst they've got access to main services, may well need connecting to water or electricity. Some of them will need um, dragging out of the late 18th, possibly early 19th right. century, and into the 21st century. So uh, there's quite a lot of work for some people to do. But it's mainly about trying to attract people back into these communities, trying to make sure mm. that they remain as thriving places for people to live. Uh, and they don't get left behind full of just older people getting older, Uh, and that there's something for the youngsters to to, to do.
4: I must admit, I mean, whenever I visit Europe and and, and drive through parts of villages and and places in all manner of different countries, you often wonder, what on earth do people do here? You know, there's literally nothing there. There's a few houses, but they're all shuttered up during the day. You never see people walking around really very much. It does seem to be a problem in, in many parts of Europe.
3: Well, much of Europe, um, unbelievably, isn't as, uh, as as developed in inverted commas as uh, we are in the right. UK. Particularly when it comes to communication. So, there's a great thing that we Brits do uh, and have been uh, doing over the last uh, decade: this idea of telecommuting. It's this, uh, the, uh, the ability to be able to do things from home that you would otherwise have to go uh, to a fast broadband or to an office block or to a town or city to be able to do. But many, many people are now able to work remotely. Um, but in on mainland Europe, as people who have travelled there on holiday may well have uh, experienced firsthand, it can be incredibly difficult not just to get uh, mobile service, but to get any kind of broadband service. Whilst there are pockets that are uh, enviable as far as many people in the UK are concerned, uh, they are by easily the exception. The vast majority uh, has a long way to go to catch up with how we find uh, communications in the UK. Until that happens. Uh, we are going to continue to see that drift away from the countryside and from rural communities into towns and cities and with that comes the impact on societies uh, the, the aging pe- population of some of these rural communities puts a huge stress on social services such as they are and making sure that there, there are provisions for these people mm. um, and there are towns and villages in italy france and spain that are, are literally dying uh, and they're down to a handful of, po- of population uh, which which is desperately sad to see, but where people are trying to make a difference and yeah. trying to breathe life back into them.
4: I quite fancy it, I must say. I mean, just one final quick question as well, because we've seen people in Spain getting into trouble with various kind of local um, land laws and development yep. laws and all of that. I mean, you'd have to be a bit careful of that as well, when you're in Italy?
3: Well, caveat emptor, hmm. uh, the Latin bio... Literally bio. in
4: Latin this time, yep, yeah. There we
3: go. We're in Italy, <laughs> a bit of Latin for a bit of culture, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, Yes, you absolutely do have to be uh, very careful. And again, um, not wishing to drag it in, but uh, Brexit and what will happen thereafter, property rights are not entirely clear as they are at the moment. I'm sure that everybody will be fine if you buy one of these properties for a euro or 90p. Mike, you're going to be fine. But uh, there are some question marks. Sicily, familiar for all sorts of other reasons yes. too. Be careful who you employ <laughs> or who you hire. Right. And, uh, uh, but, but if you're up for a bit of adventure... Um, the advantage of cheap flights to this part of the world, uh, it can be not just a distraction, but quite a fun experience.
4: Yeah, listen, it sounds fascinating. Henry, thank you very much indeed. Henry Pryor, property expert, market commentator. Buy a place in Sicily for a pound, literally. Go ahead and do it. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how difficult it's going to be to make it work. I can't tell you whether it's a great idea, but it sounds like fun, doesn't it? Sounds like an adventure. (laughs) This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're back in the studio. We may well be back down at Westminster next week, though, of course, when things start hotting up again. Theresa May is returning uh, to the Chamber, uh, i.e. the House of Commons with Plan B, uh, whatever it may be. I don't think she's come up with it yet. We've heard Boris Johnson talking today. Uh, We'll get more into that. But right now, because it's Friday and it is 12.35, it is time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. And of course, as ever, uh, it is time to introduce you to uh, producer Cornelius, uh, a man who has been frozen most of this week and uh, has been putting together the Perry Awards uh, brilliantly, of course, hopefully giving me as many awards as I always get. Uh,
6: Cornelius, a very mm, good afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Mike, and good afternoon to you. Welcome to the another glittering edition of the Perry Awards. Uh, this is where we cast our ears back over the past week of the so-called Independent so Republic cool. of Mike Graham, and she's our favourite moment. Uh, it's the Pier- Perry Awards live from Talk Towers today, but as you can imagine, a big majority of the clips have come from College Green. Uh, so let's begin. As is tradition, Mike, first one for you. Thank you. Uh, it's been great having a voice of reason to talk Brexit to us in layman's terms this week and explain it in an easier way to understand. Uh, but I'm afraid for this moment, you do win the Perry Award for Algebra of the Week. Mm.
4: They don't agree uh, on Theresa May's soft deal. They don't agree on whether we should remain in the customs union, whether we should of Norway Plus or Canada Plus or Canada Plus Plus or French Plus, Minus, whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Nice well, and simple. I mean, I don't think anyone knows what Canada Plus is, or <laughs> uh, you know, Poland Plus or minus Norway. Norway Plus Canada. Norway equals. Plus Canada yeah.
6: equals I don't know Taiwan. <laughs> um, our political editor Ross Kempsel has ever has been a star for us this week, and is enjoying a well earned day off today. So I'm afraid he can't be here to collect his peria for thesaurus User of the Week. <laughs> But on the other hand, they've said that they'll be satisfied with nothing less than the backstop being withdrawn from the withdrawal agreement uh, in full. Now, there are other machinations going on this morning. There's a... <laughs> yeah, I had to Google that. Yeah, really.
4: What, machinations? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I didn't. I thought I was waiting for him to say something really complicated there. (laughs) I thought you were going to have him, you know, the withdrawal and withdrawing
6: for the withdrawal agreement was quite a good one. I thought, (laughs) oh, there we go. There we are. Um, uh, It was fun being outside Parliament this week. Uh, Totally fun, only fun. Uh, This clip comes from Monday, or was it Tuesday? Hang on, what day was it? Stuart
4: Jackson's coming up in the next hour. We'll take more of your calls as well. 0344 499 1000. It's the Day of the Dead or the Day of the Undead or the Day of the <laughs> Half Dead. This is Talk Radio.
6: That's right, yeah. There we go. It's... I actually wish somebody a happy Friday on Thursday <laughs> at one <laughs> Did point. You? Yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't sure what day it was. Oh dear. Um uh, MP and one man Perrier Award Factory Colonel Bob Stuart is our next winner. He picks up the award for politest profanity of the week.
4: I personally um, say yeah, we we want to stay friends with Europe. Let's have a an association. But frankly, they they've. Um, am I allowed to say tear the back, torn the backside <laughs> oh, out of our relationship? So, yeah. <laughs> um.
6: I love it when people say that on the radio. Am I allowed to say whatever then they say anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. without waiting? Fantastic. Uh, Colonel Bob also wins the award for Vegas description when discussing what I myself was doing in our talk radio tent. A hospital. So
4: we're giving 52 hospitals a week. And I I know you've got to get rid of me now because I've got to go on. So I'm going to end it because the bloke's doing a funny thing with his finger. Yeah,
6: Yeah. the less said about that, the better, I should imagine. Yeah, try to stay warm. (laughs) Uh, Caller Paul in South Tyneside, a Perry, a favourite, the wrong namer of the week.
5: We do a lot more than we're fair share
0: in Europe. You know, the the, the gent you've had on before, um, Colonel Bob Graham,
6: yeah. I'm not sure, yeah. it's your brother isn't it yeah he is yeah. <laughs> yeah we're related absolutely right uh you told me to get a haircut you know colonel bob yeah i know i enjoyed As if that. i was in the army <laughs> yeah uh next up again is you mike Thank uh you. you win uh the best male presenter who is lost for words mm. Uh here's one uh from a uh, uh where are we from um, from
4: a very interesting call however one thing to bear in mind yeah yeah that was not a great moment that was it <laughs> no, yeah, a, i think had been great temporary brain, lapse, we'll temporary lapse yeah. brain freeze uh
6: well you're not the only one the female counterpart for the lost for words award goes to our neighbor Julia Hartley Brewer
0: even at low levels for a while 7:50 uh, is the time talk uh, radio is uh, what you're listening to
4: yeah, well, it happens to us all. I think the reason I went completely blank there was because I went to read a tweet out and then realized it was full of profanity and thought, <laughs> oh. well, I can't read that one out, you know, which is often a bit of a. Uh, I really wish people wouldn't send in sweary tweets because you're about to get to it and you go, oh, ah,
6: I can't read that one. Oh, well, now you've asked, I'm sure they'll stop. They no, probably yeah. will, yeah. Um, another one for you, Mike. You win the ever popular, most obvious Perrier award moment. But if you're taking coal power, f-
4: power excuse me, it'd be hard to say, coal-fired <laughs> power stations out of the, uh, sorry, they're all laughing behind the glass. It is one of those <laughs> phrases, actually, coal-powered fi- fire stations. It's really, it is hard coal to powered say. Fire station. Coal-powered yeah, fire stations. Coal-powered fire stations. I don't right, know why I have right. a problem
6: with it. Uh, and finally, Mike, uh, I don't know if you just got consumed by the music or what, but you win the Perrier for the most dramatic moment ooh, of the week.
4: Oh three <laughs> four 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 nine nine one thousand. 1000. It's a Brexit special once again uh, from the heart of darkness and the place where the living dead continue to stroll around. Uh, this is Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's paint some pretty good picture. Live from Game say. of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a bit like that at times, wasn't it? Yeah. With the bells and the drums and everything. Unbelievable.
6: Mm, uh, that's <laughs> it for the Perrier Awards this week. There'll be more at half 12 next Tremendous. Friday. Brilliant.
4: The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. I think he's definitely getting better at them, and he's giving more of them to me as well, which can never be a bad thing. Well done, Cornelius, the producer. He goes back now to do that funny thing with his finger uh, behind the glass. And before now, uh, we go to our next guest, who is, of course, uh, Tonya Buxton, who's written a fantastic looking book called The Secret of Spice. We're going to talk to Doug, uh, who's in a place called Aldridge, I think. Hello, Doug. Hello, Mike. Hello, Hello, mate. mate. Yeah, very well indeed. What do you want to tell me about energy?
2: down to one of these clothes stores for some thermal long for next week, by
4: the No, time, listen, no, I've got the world's greatest coat, I promise you? you. If you've seen the pictures on Twitter, you would know that I'm never going to be cold wearing that coat. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it. Good. Anyway,
2: mate, I've just thought you've got the obvious answer to the energy problem yes. down where you are, actually. Really? Go on then. Well, just build very cheaply one turbine for (laughs) Victoria Gardens just at the end of it. One on College Green with all the wind coming out. We've got power for the next 10 years.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, as long as you can store it somewhere, I suppose, they do take quite a lot of holidays. They're not always there.
2: Yeah, yeah. And also with College Green, which I find fascinating, our research politics, been doing it for 10 years, and presenting and how the media is. I find it fascinating. We have this stilted village and sadly the small menial people in the small tents, which you're one of them, on the right-hand side. Yes. um, You look at it and you think that majestic looks like something like a bamboo village in Thailand, and it should say good morning Vietnam on it (laughs) instead of good morning College Green. Yeah, well, indeed. What I've got really concerned with in that sense, with a lot of wind, is that isn't the media now become so... High up like politics out to of touch that you're on stilts and have a fence put
4: around you. Well I think that's the problem and I think an awful lot of the media has become like that um, unfortunately a lot of the public has become a bit more threatening than it used to be you know there used to be a time when the royal family would walk around uh, in front of people as well but then sometimes you just can't do what you used to be able to do. I take your point though Doug I don't disagree with you however the talk radio would always be uh, the man of the people station if you like so you can always come and talk to us. It is
2: and uh, it's, it's what we need, and it's one way of communication because it is—it is getting very selective. And as I say, a lot of people get on there, very repetitive, yeah. especially on the on the TV side. It's very well organised and a bit selective, like politics. I think it is, I think we need a little change. I think radio goes that way in different formats. Yeah,
1: I think but you're absolutely the hospital, right.
2: The media side has got. It's got a bit like politics, and, and when we look at what's happened, we often actually how it's been... The, the narrative's been sent over, and also that turns off people because it's not really what's happening at, at, the, at, at the lower levels. That's why you've got the stilts.
4: Indeed. No, I think you're absolutely right, Doug. Thanks very much for your call. Doug thinks we should just hook up Parliament to some kind of turbine uh, and produce hot air uh, and make it uh, make it uh, last for the nation. I think uh, that's obviously tongue-in-cheek, but probably not a bad idea. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Matthew Wright coming up, of course, at one o'clock. He'll be in to tell us what's going on. But coming next, though, we're going to have a look at Secrets of Spice, because Tonya Buxton is going to join us. She's a chef. She's a nutritionist. She's just done a new book. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, I'm certainly going to be doing some of the recipes out of it. It promises to make me Live, long, live longer and look younger. What could be better? As you talk radio
1: across the UK, online, online and on DAB.
4: Talk radio. We'll get you talking.